0: Friday afternoon, I was with some friends, and I made it into the restaurant just before the downpour. Came in, sat down, and I mean, it just, it hit, and you, I mean, you could hear it, you could see it, it was huge. And as we're eating, a, people are still coming in, they're trickling, and one guy comes in, and he comes and he kind of shakes off and he's got water, and he says, That is the worst thing that's happened to me. And I thought, really? (laughs) Like, I'm dealing with people that, like, they're in the hospital, they're losing people, they're losing jobs, and and this guy got wet. And it is the worst thing that has happened. I thought, man, you've lived a charmed life. I'd like to have your life if that is, I get wet, and that's, that's, um, there's a lot of bad stuff happens out there. We are in a series, we just started last week, on Ecclesiastes, where everything is kind of dark. Last week I said we have three basically depressing messages in a row, where everything is futile and fleeting, and we can't achieve happiness, and things are hard sometimes. And today, we're going to continue that. Um, Specifically, we're going to look at two experiments, two ways that Kohelet, uh, the, the writer, the author of this, goes into the world and he explores. He, he, he says at the beginning that everything is futile, everything is fleeting, but then it backs up and he says, I went out and did this, 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 and this. We're going to look at two of the things he explored this morning. And from those two things, look at two warnings for us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look in your word, please open up our hearts to you. Take all the things that may be distracting and help us to set them aside and to hear from your spirit, how you want to move in our lives. Lord, I pray that the message today is personal and corporate. I pray that we would see what it means for us as individuals, but also for us as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Um, Again, we have started putting Bibles in the back, so if you come to church and you don't have one, we invite you to grab one of those Bibles. Uh, If you don't don't have one right now and you'd like one, uh, Greg just grabbed a few, he'd be happy to hand out to anybody if you just raise a hand. Uh, We are going to go through a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, When you finish today, if you don't own a Bible, just take it with you. We'd love to give that to you as a gift. Uh, If you do, then you can just drop it back at that table on your way out. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I'm going to say just a brief background here. I didn't talk about this last week. I'm going to say it this morning. That word preacher is Kohelet. And the word means to assemble or to bring together. And there is a debate Uh, somewhat academic in nature. Who is the author of this book? On the one hand, and you've probably heard this maybe most of your life, Solomon is the author of the book. On the other hand, there is this title or this name, this word, Kohelet, the assembler or the preacher. Who wrote the book? The reason it's an issue is because within the book itself, there's conflicting evidence in some instances, the language seems like it came after Solomon would have been alive. In other instances, you have like this. I've been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Well, you only have David and Solomon who had that. So it's got to be one of them. However, a little bit later on, you're going to see in what we are reading where he says, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. Well, is all referring to one guy. That's a weird way to refer to just your dad. Um, So there is debate on who wrote this. Here's what I want to tell you. It never says Solomon wrote it. He never calls himself that. It always calls himself Kohelet. The message itself doesn't change. Whether Solomon wrote it or somebody else wrote it later or whether it's a joint effort where Solomon did part of it and somebody came later and wrote some things out, what matters is the message itself. So... I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Here is my journey. Here is my quest. I have applied myself. Heart here is all of our insides. It's will. It's mind. It's strength. It's not just emotion. I applied myself fully to seek this out, and I used wisdom. I, I was conscious. I was really paying attention to what I was doing while I sought it out. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Unhappy business. If you look at any major translation, you'll probably see that translated differently. Because that is a hard word. The word in Hebrew most often means evil. And the translations vary from translation to translation how you're going to do this. Likely, it has something to do with a great and heavy burden. Something that sits on you. It's not good. Not necessarily morally evil, as the word is most often used, but something that weighs you down. It's burdensome. And then there's a play on words business and busy. Those two come from the same roots a noun and a verb the business that you're busy with is what the author does here. God has given. Notice who's responsible for it. God has given to the children of man a burdensome, heavy thing to keep us busy with. That's his conclusion. We'll explore it in just a second. Keep reading with me. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, basically anything on earth, everything done under the sun and behold all is and again vanity there is that same word that we talked about at the beginning the NIV often does meaningless that is a terrible translation terrible 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 I, I didn't say it that forcefully last week but i had everybody come up to me and they made jokes about meaningless that's not the word it doesn't mean meaningless meaningless is when i say things that are jumbled and you don't know what that is that's not what he's talking about when he says this word "hevel," it has more to do with the idea of something that is futile, something that you could put. Imagine if you were going to invest money with me, and no matter how much you invested, I could never give you a return over what you gave me. You could give me five dollars or five hundred dollars; you were never going to make more than what you gave me, no matter what you did, no matter how hard you tried. That's futile, and if you want to keep doing it, you're crazy. But you keep doing it if you want to, but it's futile. You're never going to get more than what you gave me. That's this concept. No matter how hard he works, no matter what he does, he looks and he says, there's no real gain. It's just futile. I can try harder and it doesn't change it. And it doesn't last. Right? Same word. It's a striving after the wind. Uh, the word striving, it can mean this. It, it's often translated this, shepherd. Imagine if you had to shepherd the wind. How futile would that be? I've got to get the wind to move the way I want it to do, and then I want to make it, I want to control it. You can't. That's the idea behind the word. It's futile. It's fleeting. Everything under the sun. And then he gives this interesting little proverb to describe it. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Um, We have at home uh, a... It's no, no, no. We have one of those. Do you have any of those? Anybody else got one of those? Um, you know, we're a shredder, a paper shredder. I just forgot the word. We have a shredder at home, and we shred a lot of documents. Okay, you shred this thing, and, and you could pull those out, and you could, like, straighten them all out and maybe tape them back together and figure it out. Imagine I did this. Imagine I shredded the paper. I took the scraps, and I burned them. Then I took the ashes and I spread them over the ocean and then I said to you, go make my paper back again. That's what he means by this proverb. It can't happen. There is no way that it's going to happen. Now, I need to give you some background to get a full appreciation for what he means by God has given an unhappy business to keep men busy with and it is all heathal. Here's where it comes from. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 2, God says, Tree of good and evil, tree of life. You can have the tree of life, you can't have the tree of good and evil. Instead, I want you to fear me. And essentially, he sets out a choice. You can fear me and learn from me and grow in me, or there's the knowledge of good and evil right there. You can just go do it on your own. And man chooses to go do it on his own. And he says, when that happens, and in Hebrew he says, dying you shall die. Uh, He emphasizes it in chapter 2. You are going to die if this happens. Now, by the way, they don't even know what death is at that point. They're afraid of it. In fact, they're deathly afraid of it, even though they're not sure what it is. It's why they hide. It's why they blame each other. It's why chapter 3 is not this kind of joking thing where one person's blaming another person. It's people terrified. However, look at chapter 3 with me. And go to verse 16. God gave man two commandments. Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Take care of it. Those are the two things. Verse 16. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for you are taken out. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God just took anything that might have been easy. And he said, from now on, giving life, relationships, your work, all of it is going to be hard. You are going to struggle. You are going to sweat. It is going to challenge you. It is no longer going to be what I intended it to be in the beginning. Sin is has entered the world, all of its destruction, all of its hurt, all of the sickness, it's going to come in and it's going to be challenging. And Kohelet says, God has given to man a terrible business to be busy with. And the first time you see the full effects of it, chapter 4. And because of time, I'm not actually going to read it, but this is Cain and Abel. And if you know the story, they are brothers. They offer a sacrifice. God accepts the sacrifice of Abel, but not the sacrifice of Cain. Cain then rears up and he murders Abel. It is the first recorded death in Scripture. Now, just imagine for a moment, if you are Adam and Eve, you were told what's gonna happen now. There's gonna be death. You haven't seen it yet. And the first death you see is your child and imagine you are holding that child and all the questions that are going through your head why? what good did this do? why in the world would this happen? what what could we possibly gain from this? what's his name? Abel you know what that is in Hebrew? Hevel it's the first time the word is used in the Hebrew Bible Hevel This is what it is. There is no gain from this. There is nothing good from this. Uh, Why would this happen? That's Hevel. And so what you see in Kohelet is God has given us this burdensome thing where everything is going to be challenging and hard in our relationships and our work and everything is going to be so difficult. And it's all Hevel. And you see it right there following in chapter 4. Wow. I told you this was going to be sad and hard and depressing and deep. And that, that's, that's Kohelet's. Now, how did he come to his conclusion? Because it's not just reading Genesis 3 and 4. And, and, and I imagine I could ask all of you to raise your hand if you've had anything difficult happen in your life, if you've ever struggled. If you've ever said why, if you've ever thought what good could this possibly be, well, guess where he gets his conclusion from? This is where he's different, by the way. Most wisdom literature, it starts with the fear of the Lord. Kohelet, he goes out and does it. He goes out and sees. And that's what we're about to see in him, his, two fir- his first two experiments. Look at verse 16, back in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Verse 16, I said in my heart, look down at chapter 2, verse 1, I said in my heart, these are his first two experiments. He starts off the same with both. The first experiment is wisdom, the second experiment is pleasure. Could either of these things bring true fulfillment, lasting happiness, satisfaction? Could they bring gain? Could either of these things be that thing where I give you $500 to invest and you give me back a thousand? Could either of these be that? So he says, I said in my heart, literally I had a dialogue with my heart is what it says in Hebrew. I had a dialogue with my heart. I have acquired wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me and my heart has had great experience. Of wisdom and knowledge so here it is my heart my inward I've experienced wisdom and knowledge I've explored it and now I'm gonna have a conversation with my heart I'm gonna see how what happened with it I imagine you wanted to know about Star Wars and you could sit down with George Lucas that that's what he's doing my heart I experienced all this I went through it now I'm gonna I'm gonna digest it I'm gonna explore it I'm gonna analyze what happens I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I went both directions. I checked out all of wisdom in this direction, but I also went this way too so I could see its opposite and really get the breadth. Is there anything to gain truly from this? I perceive that this is also but a striving after wind. And here's his first reason. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Anybody relate to that? That the more you come to understand, the deeper the pain can get at times. The more you get what happened, the more details you see, it actually hurts more. He says part of the problem with wisdom is, and he'll say later on in chapter two, it's better than folly, much like light is better than darkness, so I don't fall down. But it still isn't perfect because the more I get, the more I hurt. The more I understand, the more I realize how bad it is. Later on in chapter two, he will say, even if I get it, I still don't have any advantage ultimately over the fool for two reasons. Because number one, with all my wisdom, let's say I'm a wise person and I invest really, really well and I make a ton of money. What happens to my money when I die? I don't get it. The person who does get it, I have no control over them. They could totally squander everything I just worked for. How is that any better than the fool who didn't have it? Or he says this, death comes to both. I can be the wisest person in the world and I can still leave here today, get in a car crash and pass away, just like a fool can. So wisdom is good. It's not the answer, though. It has so many problems with it that it will not give you everything you want. Wisdom is still a striving after the wind. If that is the case, here's my first warning to us. Beware of hubris. If wisdom is truly not the end all, beware of hubris. Let me give you what I think is a great definition Um, Originally, it relates back to having a view of yourself that is higher than the gods. But let me give you a great, I think, modern-day definition of hubris. Some of you will know exactly where this is from. I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules did not apply. I never thought about who I was hurting. I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. Thanks to money and fame, I didn't have to go far to find them. I was wrong. I was foolish. I don't get to play by different rules. The same boundaries that apply to everyone apply to me. I brought this shame on myself. That was Tiger in 2010, making his confession. But that first part, that's hubris. I'm convinced that the normal rules don't apply to me. I'm convinced that I deserve certain things that other people don't. I'm convinced that I am better than other people. And by the way, this can happen either because of, on the one side, you have a lot of education. Maybe you are a PhD or an MD or whatever it may be. It can happen on the other side because you think you have street smarts. And by the way, both sides often think the other one is dumb. Right? I mean, you see it. You see these people over here going, man, I wish they would just listen. And you see these people over going here. I was on Wikipedia, and that MD has no idea what they're talking about. That's hubris. When we think that we have all the answers and the other one doesn't, when we think that we deserve something even though they don't or it might hurt them or I don't want to think about them when it happens, because wisdom, whether it's academic or street smarts or a combination of the two, it is not the end all. It fails too. And we need to recognize that in humility. I'll give you a great example of hubris. My two-year-old has these little things called school bus boys. He's got five of them. And they're just little figures, they go on a school bus. And he is always, always losing them. I mean, he probably loses them a dozen times a day. And we're the ones who have to find them. He can't find them, so we have to find them, even though he lost them. And one day, he's, we're looking for him, and he says, it's up there on the counter. And I look on the counter. No, it's not. Like, I'm looking, it's not on the counter. No, it's on the counter! And he's a two-year-old, so he's starting, no, it's not on the counter. And then he just loses it. And I mean, he is crying and snotting and just throwing a fit. It's on the counter! That's it. I lost it. I mean, I had had this happen way too many times. It is not on the counter! I am looking at the counter. I am taller than you. I am smarter than you. I am 40 years older than you. I have an advanced degree! It's not on the counter! Which really helped the situation. (laughs) And eventually, as he slunk away from daddy... Like an hour later, I'm putting the dishes away, and I pick up a cookie sheet, there's the school bus boy underneath the cookie sheet. The whole time it was on the counter, and guess who put the cookie sheet there? I did the dishes. There's hubris. I don't care how smart you are, how many degrees you are, have whatever. You will still be wrong sometimes. Don't let hubris control you. Humility is what we are called to. So number one, his first experiments, wisdom. And his conclusion, it still isn't everything. It still will let you down. So let's try a second one. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, again, same thing, I dialogue with my heart. Come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. Hey, you can even hear it in the language. It's like, all right, heart, go out there and just enjoy everything and let's talk about it. Let's see if that'll work. Let's see if pleasure can be that thing that finally gives us a return on our investment. That finally gives us lasting meaning. So here's what he does. I said, Of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. So I got tipsy, but I was still coherent, because so I wanted to see what's going on. And how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven um, during the few days of their lives. So the first thing he did, he partied. I mean, that's what he does. He goes out and he parties. And he drinks and he dances and he laughs and he has all of this fun. That's his first one. Secondly, verse four: I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who had come before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. He held nothing back. I just went out and got all the possessions anybody could ever want. I bought the fastest car and the biggest TV and the best pool and the most wonderful home. I got it all. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. So again, what he's trying to do is go, All right, I don't want to get lost in the pleasure. I want to be able to evaluate it. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to get all of this stuff. I'm going to do all of these things. But in the midst of all of them, I'm questioning. Is this really giving me lasting pleasure? Is this really giving me lasting joy. So, his conclusion, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Oh, for the first time, there's one glimpse of something positive. There was pleasure in this. The Bible is not a book that lies to you. If Kohelet came back and said, I got all of this amazing stuff, I went out and partied like crazy, and I got nothing from it, he would be lying. Stuff does make us happy, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't get it. Hanging out, partying in some degree, whatever that means for you, does bring us some pleasure. He gets that, he sees that. But keep going. Verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it and behold, all was hevel and a striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. There's the gain again. Sure, I got pleasure out of this but only what I put in. There was no net gain from it. It didn't pull me further along and it didn't last. It was fleeting. And we all know that, right? I mean, this this phone here, this phone is now, I don't know, like um, four weeks old or something. And I can tell you when I got it, I was really, really excited. Partly because my other one had been dropped so many times, it was literally cracked and held together by tape. I had tape across my screen to keep from the, because the screen was coming off in my pocket whenever I put it in my pocket. So I couldn't even hardly see things. I was so excited. But it's also a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer, a little bit clearer, a little bit faster. I hardly notice any of that anymore. It's only been four weeks. Yeah, I still like the phone, but I don't go, ooh, i got to go get on my phone. Four weeks, because it doesn't last. Pleasure also, Kohelet says, is not the answer. It's not going to give you what you're ultimately looking for. It'll give you some joy. It'll give you a little happiness. We don't deny that but it's not going to give you a lasting significance. It's not even going to give you a lasting pleasure. You're going to have to go get something else because it's going to die down. Guess what? I'm already thinking about my next Apple product because i got to get something else. This one's just not doing it anymore. That's what happens. So my second warning Beware of hedonism. Beware of making pleasure that ultimate goal. And I don't care how you're defining pleasure, because there's a lot of ways of doing it. Whether for you it is making money, whether it's getting things, whatever it may be, in some sense, when you find yourself being driven to get that next thing, that next fix, that next how do I make myself happy? Don't let that drive you because it will always let you down. Always. You will always have to move to the next thing. Because that's what pleasure is. It's something that doesn't last. This is, this is what I was thinking of today. Um, and it's actually this morning because just everything going on with the weather. Uh, when we came into that restaurant. Uh, right beforehand one of the guys had sent me a picture of the satellite imagery of hurricane patricia and on friday that thing looked i mean most powerful hurricane in the western hemisphere more powerful than everything that came before it and i mean it was coming onto land and it was, everybody was freaking out by this, wondering what the damage was going to be. And you've got these two major resorts on Mexican beaches right there that were like, I mean, all these people are getting out of there. They're all fleeing, getting away. Category 5 hurricane. It hits land between the two resorts, hits the mountains, and essentially does nothing compared to what they thought it was going to do. I mean, as of this morning, they didn't even have loss of life. Some of the, some of the buildings, some of the shacks, roofs were ripped off. And things. But I mean, nothing compared to what they were expecting. Because when you take a Category 5 hurricane and let it slam into land, you're expecting these, these resort centers to just be gone. Instead, it hits and becomes a tropical storm. A little bit of flooding. That is Pleasure you can build it up as much as you want you can look forward to that thing that is the most powerful pleasure ever I guarantee you at some point it's going to crash upon the mountains of reality and it is not going to be a category 5 pleasure anymore it's not going to be everything you wanted it to be don't let hedonism be your driving force it will let you down Kohelet actually has a few more experiments. Uh, We're not going to get into all of them because the book. But these two themes go throughout the entire book. Uh, Here's his main idea. He starts off with it. Everything is fleeting and futile, done under the sun. Whatever the works of our hands are. And he says, here's how I figured that out. I went out and explored. I went out and actually tested it. I tested wisdom. I tested pleasure and possessions He'll, in another place, he'll talk about accomplishments. There's all these things. He went out and he did them. And he discovered none of them brought what he wanted. That's the book. Next week, we have one more kind of downer to cover. Because he actually does have a conclusion. As he looks at everything under the sun and says, it's not going to bring you lasting satisfaction no matter what you do. It's never going to bring you a gain. He will end by saying, but there is something that will and there is a direction for you to go. Week four, week five of the sermon series, both of them are very positive. As you leave today and you may at some point struggle with any of these things, struggle with finding your value or significance or in various things under the sun, get this image in your head as we're sitting in this restaurant, and the rain is just pouring down, you can't even see through it. I mean, it's coming down that hard. You can't hardly see through it. People are trickling in. But here's the thing, sitting in that restaurant, I was not getting wet. I was perfectly safe sitting inside that restaurant. I felt good, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good in here. I mean, I've, I've got a good lunch, sports is on, got friends with me, this is really good. Here's the thing, at some point, I have to go outside. At some point, I have to stop sticking my head in the sand. And just imagine that rain never would stop. And the only thing you get are occasionally somebody's walking in and they're wet, and you're going, oh, yeah, it's still raining out there. Somebody else comes in, oh, no, it's still raining out there. At some point, you will have to wake up to Reality. That whatever it is you are pursuing under the sun to find your value or significance, it's going to let you down. You can hide all you want from the rain. You can act like this is what you really need, like it's really bringing you value. But at some point, you're going to have to step out into the rain and go, dang it. I got wet like everybody else. Because that's the result of everything under the sun. It cannot bring you lasting significance. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, even when it is challenging, even when it is telling us things that can be hard, even when it's not tickling us and just making us laugh or feel so good about us, but every part of your word, thank you for your word. Help us to walk away this morning with a sober view of everything that can be done under the sun. Of all of our works. Of the ways we may seek to find significance or pleasure or happiness that will ultimately let us down. Help us to see as your word says reality is. That we might be the people you call us to be that we may honor you fully with our lives. In Christ's name.